now is a fellow who has been since the very first time I had him on the program uh, many years ago. A breath of fresh air. A lot of people are fans of Mike Gills. Um, in 2010, the most hated man in racing turned out to be a report ESPN did. And we'll talk about that and other things with my good pal, Mike Gill. Good morning, Mike. Hi, Roger. Listen, Mike, you've been keeping it low profile. I want to go back uh, to remind the listeners that don't remember in 2005, you took down the Eclipse Award, but you were really honest about it. You said it was probably a makeup for the, for the huge oversight in 2004. And you told me earlier, maybe 2003 and 2004. Right. That's how I saw it. But, uh, and I heard that, uh, Mr. Melnick wasn't, was sick. And that was the year that I'd won. And, and I really do think that he should have won it that year. For, for, for certain, uh, you had it coming. You did an awful lot of winning, and you remind everyone always that your percentage was nothing out of the ordinary, uh, that a lot of the horses that you claimed and dropped down uh, didn't necessarily show a profit. But you have the – I think you're the only guy out there that ever has accusers and no positive tests. Now, you, you did say – you owned up to this – and I think it was 1993 or something, or 2003. It was many years ago. You did 94. get a bad, 94, you did get a bad test, didn't you? How about this? Uh, I had to fire my trainer. I didn't have a trainer. It was the very first horse I ever ran. Came back with a bad test. And I fired him that morning, so it was that trainer's horse. But what was really going on, and it's always been an issue for me, is me fighting corruption in thoroughbred racing. They had a HPA union there that they were selling out its membership, telling of a year-round racing if they got slot machines. The truth is, I sat in those meetings. It was going to be a six-week meet. When I came forwards and wouldn't shut up, and I told people, report it to the Globe, they put a gun to my head, and I still wouldn't shut up. The next day, my first horse, bad test. Yeah. Did you, did they ever figure out what, what did you do? Did you serve any time or did you pay a fine? What was the deal? What was the disposition of that case? There was no, it, it was one that they kicked me out of racing for a couple of years. That was it. They knew what it was. It was a clembuterol overage. A clembuterol, not overage. They didn't have clembuterol. They spiked the horse and they know they did because I wouldn't go and cover up what I've uncovered with the union. See, corruption in horse racing has been rampant. But the thing that blew up corruption, it was, you could fight this. It's when corporate America, the casinos of the world, united with the corrupt, that showed them wire services and offshore gaming. The same $5,000 horse at Penn National where you couldn't bet 200 bucks, and today you can't bet 200 bucks. What if they could bet 10,000 at 10 to 1? Do you think it might just attempt the corrupt who was doing it for crumbs before? That's what's going on. And you know what they're doing with this great wealth? They're buying your politicians and your judges and your courts. Now, I haven't disappeared. If you watch stateofcorruption.org, you see me pulling them together. 
my attack on Penn National is because they are organized crime, and they have brought these officials. The mayor of Harrisburg, for 32 years, gets arrested. They turn around and have the AG, which I believe is honest, Catherine Kane, just get kicked out. You know why? She leaked about the corruption. This thing's about to fall apart. The FBI's covering this up. They know. Listen, I haven't been wrong yet. One time. Now tell me if you still think I'm crazy, because I'm telling you now. There's been a rush last night that you haven't even heard yet. The compromise is they don't want to get into the politicians. They don't want to get into Penn National. Penn National is 93% of it is owned by the casinos. Wayne Casino, who bought land in Boston to build a casino, you know what the holdup was? Because I caught wires from Penn National to these, the Post and Nostra of New England, not my words, the Boston Globe. They were purchasing it from Wynn. Wynn, who owns 30% of Penn National. See? There's mob connections here. Do you want them controlling your judges in courts? That's what's at stake here. It's, it's horse racing in the life and death of it. But it goes into your courts. It goes into to these law firms and the insurers. We've just been turned out, inside out, by the business world. Why do you think you've seen all this corruption? And no one goes to jail. And who's grown out of our eight years of recession? The casino world. Well, That's Mike, why I do what I do. Well, let me back this up just a little bit, okay? You get a feeling. You know, Lenny Shulman's on the line with us, by the way, and uh, he had the same sort of opinion that every time you've been questioned or asked about it, you've been straight up. And obviously, you're not hiding anything. But how do you go from a guy that 10 years ago was one of the dominant owners in the game, certainly when they talked claiming uh, your, your, two, your name, Mike Gill, was going to be the next thing discussed within 10 minutes. How do you go to the extreme where you want to expose these guys more than you want to win two or three races a day? What makes that happen? Well... Let's not forget, I came from a family that had nothing. We looked for change to buy a pound of bologna. I went to be a priest for five years. So you know what? Insight made me a wealthy man. But I haven't lost the principles, which is, seems to be weird here. I turned around, you want to know, I went from that peak, and I risked everything, and I risk everything today. Because there's something greater than money. It's each and every one of us. It's the corruption in there. Do we, we send young men and women off to war to risk their lives. Why are we any better? Why aren't we hold the same responsibility they hold? So I had no choice. The information I knew and what they were doing was beyond myself. So I had to make that decision. Trust me, I've lived in 10 years of hell, but I'm prepared to live in another 10 years. I'll get it done. You watch. Well, Think about no, where we Mike, are now and the unbelievableness of what's happening. And just five years ago, they were all thinking this was crazy when I was saying it. But, but Mike, hold on a second. If you were sitting out there and someone was spewing this, you'd think it was a bunch of nonsense. Let's face it. You went from zero to 60 
you know, in 0.9 seconds. It was just boom, it was over. And uh, they're hit with all of these things. The reason that it, to me, it's been an amazing ride was there were times, Mike, where I thought, now he stepped into the, the realm of uh, the Twilight Zone. Now I think my buddy Mike has lost it. And then a year later, two years later, the very guys you were talking about get arrested for things you don't see around the racetrack. You don't see, for example, someone was arrested last night back there. Fill us in. Who, who got arrested and what was the story with that? Garbini. He's one of the four that just got indicted. Indicted. You're going to hear a couple more in the next couple days. See? See, the thing that you have to remember, why I became enemy number one, I was running in more races than anyone in the country. So when I would go to these racetracks, if they were cheating and they were betting money offshore, do you think the guy who could would, would insist on his jockey running fairly was it the enemy? I, they came to me many times to join the club, but I refused. That's why they were refusing and claiming. And they were saying I was cheating and claiming because I was buying the horse they were cheating with, which is why Sam Abbey kicked me out of Delaware. And I said it then, which is why in Saratoga, they came up with a bad test. They couldn't have me running it straight. There's the difference. And when right, you stop, see stop, international, stop, that's exactly Mike. what happened. Stop for a second, Mike, because there's so much along the way we're not getting filled in about. When all of this was going on, your horses were involved. Uh, Lenny, I hope you're still there with me because I know you knew the story while it was happening. Remember, uh, Mike, toward the end when he decided he would get out, because the jockeys were, weren't willing to ride his horses. They were too sore according to them, three and four days later, the same horses appeared in the box with those very same jockeys. Now, either those trainers are miracle workers and got them sound right away, or the conspiracy that Mike talks about really existed to a level that few people could believe. That's exactly what happened. They were saying they weren't too sore. For instance, you've seen the ESPN and they showed the horse breaking down and five horses falling behind it. How about I wasn't even in the race? That's right. Didn't have a horse in the race. But you had to buy that story because they couldn't have you listen to that it was a gambling syndicate. Those jockeys are part of it. And here's this. Dana Whitney, he's indicted. How's that? Willie Otero, he's indicted right now. See? These are the very guys... These are the very guys, Mike, that you pointed the finger at. That was all. That was actually believable. It wasn't a long. It wasn't a long stretch to get to that point where people could see what had happened. The thing was, as I told you, you started square one was square twenty. There was nothing filling in what led up to all this. So here you are, the Mike Gill, ten years ago, winning, you know, record numbers of races, uh, finally picking up that. Eclipse Award, which you never even said to me, was that at any time, was that a goal of yours? Was it something you wanted more than anything on earth was to win that Eclipse? Because it seemed at the time pretty important. Again, maybe that, that's just what's fair or what's right. Roger, dead on. I paid for the trophy. Get it? I never did it for the money. I did it to be a champion. Look what I'm saying. 
They wrote a book and they interviewed me when I had three horses, broke down horses at Suffolk Downs. They asked me, what are you going to be? I said, I'm going to be the world champion. They laughed. The book was uh, written by the announcer over there. See? But I became the world champion. When I seen this too, I played for the trophy. The trophy here is the people. And turn racing around. That's the trophy I play for. I spent $51 million in 10 years. What's my motivation, money? And here's this. Crazy? How about I went from being homeless to the largest brokerage firm in the country and a person who has won more races than anybody who's ever lived? Maybe I had a little insight. Maybe I brought something to the table. But rather than choosing to be in that world of wealth, I put everything on the line, including my own freedom with these people and life and my children's lives that you can see have been threatened on the Internet to tell you the truth. Mike, let me just say one thing. We're going to make this an ongoing story throughout the rest of the year. I wish only for your good health. I have to end the interview by saying this. I know the love you have for your kids. I understand you taking a personal risk. If this is really what you believe in, what's it done to your relationship with your kids, Mike? They, they, they're bright kids. They must be looking at this going, Dad, what is going on here? Well, I told briefly. I had my youngest son, who's now 18. But there's a time when this came out. He was eight years old, and he asked me, and this is the, he was my track buddy. None of my other children liked the races. He'd go to the track with me. We'd sit in the track kitchen. We'd be sitting with the jockeys. I mean, going through the barn, he loved it. He watched the most hated man in racing, and he called me, and he goes, Dad, I thought you were one of the good guys. So you know what my relationship with my children is? I'm going to show each and every one of my children that their father was the good guy. And as unbelievable as that's to see, the most hated man in racing, I'm going to prove them that their father was the most honest man. So that's my relationship. I show my children. I don't talk about it. I'm going to have them see it. And as everything comes to fruition, all of the things you said were going to happen, happen. People all around are going to say, I told you that Mike Gill knew what he was talking about, but you heard it here. Mike, join us next weekend in the coming weeks. Fill us in with the stories that are going on and tell us what's coming next. We'll enjoy it a lot. You have a lot of fans out there that believe what you say. So please don't let that side weigh you down and think they're winning because I know you. They're in for a big, long fight. That's I don't quit, Roger. They'll quit. I mean, I love horse racing. You know why? Because it's hard. I fell in love with horse racing with secretary. I fell in love with the heart of horse racing and the thing. And you know what? It's what I can't lose and refuse to. And that's what made me a champion. It's going to make me the same person that sticks to this to the end. And we turn around and change racing maybe forever. And for the best. And we get into the corruption in our states and in our governments, and maybe change that too. So, Mike, thanks for joining us now. We'll talk to you next week, the week after. All right, thank you for joining the ESBC Financial.
Sports Financial Podcast. And I am Josh Abner, and I have Masters of Business Administration, Masters of Business Science, securities licenses. However, I'm a historian of local political corruption. And we have the great wolf line here, Greg Wolf, other, otherwise known as Nostradamus, because he's just ahead of what's going to happen a month or two ahead of the time. And I remember when we first met, he told his story, he's always ahead of the time. So how would you introduce yourself to the audience, Greg? Well, you're making me blush, Josh, but uh, it's good to be here as always. My name is Greg Wolf, co-founder and CEO of thewolfline.com, the world's only globally patented quant sports trading analytics platform. There's only one, thewolfline.com. There you go. Right on. And Greg has just been ahead of the game right from the beginning. And one thing that he, one of the things, the first thing that came out of his mouth, it wasn't even, oh, hey, how you doing? How's it going? Nice to meet you. He was like, hey, listen, uh, I guess the number now, you might have given me a different number, but we had the chart up previous podcast, and I encourage everybody to listen to the previous podcast, uh, especially the one where we talk about selective prosecution, where it's come up with racial inequality and chauvin and all that stuff. But if you would have listened to us, you wouldn't have been shocked at how local corruption works in selective prosecution, which is a part of it too. But what Greg was saying was, listen, look at all these sports bettors are suddenly day trading. And look at all the money that's going there. And they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. And they don't understand. In a way, it was kind of heartwarming because I guess they believe in Easter money and Santa Claus. But they didn't understand how they rig day traders, right? The delay trades. They have all kinds of tricks when they're on a roll to get at them. And these people didn't know that until this week. <laughs> so I yeah. didn't even know who this guy is, the barstool guy. Who the hell is this Dave Portnoy? And I'll, and I'll tell you my thoughts on my research I've done on You want, you want to know what I think? Yeah, or explain to the audience who this guy is for people in the audience who didn't know who this Dave Portnoy is from Barstool Sports. He's kind of a comedian, but he's trying to say he's a sports better. But here on our podcast, uh, every business meeting, you have to have a purpose and an outcome. The purpose of this yeah. podcast is to make me money. I bring people that are smarter than me, like Greg. We get information and we bet games. 52.5% is break even. As a podcast, we're at 78% a year in uh, pro football, college basketball, NBA. And we were 63.5% on NFL games. And you can listen to the past podcast, and it's not just uh, the percentage we got. We tell you why why we picked, who we picked, and it's on tape, if you will, like they say in the NFL. You can hear and listen to it. So I see this Dave Portner guy says, oh, I'm a sports better. Oh, yeah, what's your percentages, man? And are you transparent on every single pick? We would have finished fourth in the Super Contest. We'll, we'll enter, enter this year, and I've been doing this for 12 years. My wife has not bought gasoline since 2011. 
I counted it up. She spends about $180 on gas every month. So since 2011, $28,800 has been through betting money, right? Vacation, and I can document, I can give people receipts. Where's this Dave's guy's receipts? What's his percentage? Is he transparent on his picks, Greg, do you know? Well, you know, I don't know. Um, as you know, the Wolf Line is a totally uh, objective. Yeah, yeah. Right. Gnostic, objective, uh, quantitative data analytics platform, which is it's, we bring Wall Street into, into the sports book, into the sports bars, into people's homes, uh, and we make it very user-friendly. And it it's, does not tell you what to do, just like a shovel doesn't tell you where to dig for gold. It's what you would get if you get onto any um, other financial brokerage uh, platform or anything like that, which is very timely now because you had, uh, as you were saying, this deluge of, uh, of, of neophytes, you know, people that were not familiar with the financial markets when, you know, and, and we're dealing obviously now in, in a very unprecedented situation. Right. But it's good for me because all these people, they, they had nothing to speculate on. And we've said since the beginning uh, that sports and the other securities markets, most notably foreign exchange uh, uh, options on foreign exchange relationships, uh, are 100% correlated. And I can prove that out to all these kind of crazy option theories and, and regulation and everything else. Frank, uh, you're a former options trader, and, uh, uh, yes. a registered rep like myself. Right, I was a, I was a buy side prop options trader on uh, a few desks, and then I uh, was registered investment advisor. I was one of the first uh, registered market makers on the International Securities Exchange. I was uh, consultant to hedge funds, I created hedge funds. I uh, uh, let's see how yeah was in uh, mentoring and teaching uh, options theory, quantitative technical analysis uh, throughout the you know two thousands. You know, we can go on and on and on, not to mention my experience on the other side of the street, right. uh, you know, track and, and, you know, in the, in the, in the books and, you know. Yeah, yeah, you made your first bet when you were like seven. Seven, exactly, yep. But then, so, then, yeah, then, then, yeah, no, one of the things I like about you is that you're a renaissance man. You were on the West Coast, you were a military man. I did my best. I don't know, I, I have not yet uh, mastered pure release on the piano but i'm trying to do that <laughs> yeah man we got the same energy and we got the same problem that we get probably way too upset and it's good man you know because at least we're human for five seconds and we get upset yeah. when people are taking advantage of other people and we played on a podcast first mike gill yeah when you look at that dave portner guy i didn't know who he is right but you start looking at it He's basically owned by Penn National, who right. bought into this company. Well, here, here's what happened. Here's what happened. We'll go back. We'll go back to yeah. that. So, I don't know the man, right? I, I just let's make this perfectly clear. I don't know what you know. He uh, actually a very good friend of mine. His stepdaughter knows the guy, but I never okay. met him. I, I, you know, he's you know, uh, but he gives um, me the scumbag vibes. And just looking at his Wikipedia, well, I, I, have, I have respect for him for in a lot of ways, uh, and I I don't and you know building up his business as he did, uh, and whatever his business is, 
be okay at the moment. And he he was basically, I guess, acquired, or whether you want to call it an acquisition or a merger, with uh, Ben Gaming. And really, what his what he was doing was, I mean, he he created this this large user base of you know a certain demographic, you know, males between the ages of 25 and 54 or whatever, you know, which is uh, a very you know uh, sought after demographic that liked you know him posting videos of fat guys puking on each other at the Giants game, and then him going around and eating pizza and ra- giving it a rating and stuff like that. I, you know, I guess. Right, which you know, is very the, different from what we do. What we do is give people tools. So they're consistently yeah. over 52.5% up to where we're at 70, 80%. So they make a profit and something very interesting that the CEO said of, of uh, Barstool. She's like the entertainment factor. They're all entertainment. We're entertainment right. and making money. Right, and that's and I'll, I always go back to, and if I repeat myself, I apologize. But in, in our, yeah, it's it's. I always go back to Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, and he said, you know, he's fine. He was fine with the with the the spectacle as long as the spectacle doesn't overshadow the substance. Right. That's that's a credo that I try to live by. Is in what we you know we understand that it's a spectacle. I mean, for God's sakes. You know, you're never, and this is one thing why people shy away and they're so, they're so afraid of, of, of my, the sub-discipline of economics that I created called gamification economics, where you juxtapose uh, all kinds of financial theory into uh, a game uh, context or platform towards right. uh, for this. But um, the reason why uh, I do that is because, uh, you know, that's, that's really, everything is a game in life, you know, so you have to, you have to really, so, so this is, you know, like the Wolf Line, it's it's a game about a game about a game, you know, and you go back to that type of thing, but you can't, you know, we have to understand them. It's much, it's much more interesting to go, but going back to foreign exchange or, or pairs trading or whatever, it's much more interesting to be in a, in a, in a, in a arena or a stadium or a, sports bar or whatever and and you know have a have a, a long Patriots short Steelers position than being in some you know uh, uh, little cubicle with a long US dollar short euro position or whatever you know what I mean but we have to understand it it is it is that that is the model and and, a, and academia really doesn't like what I say, because for the longest time, I would say, you know, four centuries, I don't know when Adam Smith was exactly, but for about the last four centuries, you know, economics has been called the stale science, the dead science, the stodgy science, the dismal science, you know, then, then my gamification economics comes along with not only theory, but practical applications of that theory. It's given to every man, woman, and child on earth if they want it. And all of a sudden, Economics is not the stale dead science anymore. When you got people, right. you got and, and it's a big, and it's, and it's because everything has changed. And that's looking at Portnoy. I saw him on CNBC with Kramer, and Kramer is big time trister as well. Uh, and what they missed, right, is something that you're all over. And it's that things have changed, right? You predicted how things were going to change. But things have changed now, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. 
we're in the middle of a recession, right? Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of race riots. So guys puking at, gi- at giant games, it's different. Then time, time is money. I, I really can't sit there and just watch a game. Uh, I own three businesses. So 80% of my time has to be in revenue generating activities. And for a lot of well, people, people working three, four us, jobs, right, you can just watch a game. Right. To, to us, whether you're talking about the, the teams or the individuals that are part of teams, or if it's an individual sport, just the individual, you're just talking about constituents of commodities or securities or the commodities or securities themselves. So that's how that's treated. And, and you know, you win, you create alpha, it's called on the, on the, on the street, you know, by uh, simply owning the irrationally underowned that overperform and not owning the irrationally overowned that underperform. Right. You leverage and, and you spot with pattern recognition, you spot inefficiencies in the market. Is that right? It's a good tool That's to right. use. Our, te- our technology proves it time and time again, over a million uh, opportunities where uh, the relationships are, whether you're talking about price action, which is spread, or volatility, which is totals, or probability delta options, which is, you know, options delta, which is um, money line. Regardless, the relationships go through a continuous shorter term irrational longer term ir- longer term rational model and that's representative of representative of something called dialectic philosophy that goes back 2500 years but i won't get into that too deep i will go back to the portnoy thing and so he had so he monetized his list is what he did with Penn. and Penn looked Penn looked at his uh at his uh his list demographic well, he sort of monetized it he got divorced you never get divorced when you make a ton of money. Uh, he tried to fight the union, and he got slaughtered there. Uh, yeah. Real a-hole to his employees. Uh, he has a yeah. lot of pranks that he does, immature pranks. Yeah, I don't know any of that stuff. All I know is that- Yeah, it's right on the Wikipedia. So people can type in his name in the Wikipedia and overlay all the stuff I just said. He moved over, uh, and, and when he, and then he, what happened was sports, you know, betting, quote unquote, sports in general, shut down, unprecedented. So one, one, one thing I want to make clear about this, uh, it's a good point in the timeline. Penn National, which you guys just heard right now, Penn National for years, their movies have had mob and mob-like connections and they're the casino. So the casino does not want you to make 80% on your games. So are you really going to take advice from a guy who does not want you to win. Think about that, people. I just told you his history. Do you want this guy managing your money, Greg? No, I, I, I don't listen to anybody tell no. me what to do <laughs> when I make a decision, really. Right. I mean, maybe that's uh, one of my foibles in life, but I'm certainly not gonna listen to somebody uh, tell me uh, what to do is in, in terms of- Especially when he's not transparent, he's not saying his percentages or- like us, yeah, yeah. Like, like we spoke about off air, you know, he was he had a merger or an acquisition with Penn, and uh, I know that usually with an IPO, there's a lockup period where you, where the insiders cannot sell their shares for up to 18 months, I believe. With an M&A, I don't believe there's any lockup period, but he would have to uh, be transparent as an insider to 
the SEC to reveal when he was uh, well, me, What do you think about my theory, right? So I think they're sitting there. These Penn National guys have been around for years. And Penn National, 30% of the people that own uh, Penn National is Wynn. And you can look up Steve Wynn and when they kidnapped his daughter. You can read all about that online. These people, 30% of Penn. Right, the entire industry, extremely incestuous, right? I'll right, exactly. You. Oh, no, absolutely, 100%. So what I'm thinking happened, right, just basing on what we are, and then you and I were born a day, it wasn't yesterday, that they said, hey, man, you got all these people following you. We're going to buy XYZ stock. You blow that up, we sell, and we all laugh. Otherwise, right, we're, 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 we're in a, and, and Carl Icahn has, been, uh, has done this, and Elon right. Musk has you know, in the age Ackerman of just did it. You saw Ackerman go, he's a short expert. So when I see him crying on CNBC, I knew what he was doing. Well, right. And even before social media came out, you had, and I'll, I'll, I mean, just right off the top of my head, two examples of CEOs that came on and said, you know, everything's great. You know, this stock is, you know, our stock is going to be going through the roof for the next year or two, where Michael Dell. And uh, and of uh, of Dell, obviously, and Angelo right. Mazzillo by mortgage right after the the uh, the CDO uh, disaster, or in the midst of the right. CDO disaster. And those are, are basically when you see that them not trying to you know manipulate media like that, you know that's uh, it, I mean it's just almost like an like a, like an ultimate short sale signal. Like okay, I'm right. selling that stuff on that stock because if you know it's the same type of thing where you know if you're if if you're if you bench 500 pounds, you don't have to go around telling people, hey, I bench 500 pounds, you know. You, just, you know you do, so what's the point of it, you know? So right. either way. So uh, so we'll get back to the poor North thing. So, so you know, uh, when sports gaming – this, this is another key. You sent me a chart, and we have it on a previous podcast. You sent me a chart with the migration of sports bettors – going mm -hmm. to Ameritrade, so on and so forth. And now with this PR stunt created by those, his bosses there at Penn National, he's trying to take credit for something you told me about right when we met. Yeah, well, uh, if you look at that chart that I sent you, it's just for um, TD Ameritrade and, and E-Trade. Right. But it's also represented in the other ones, Merrill Edge, Schwab, uh, you know, trade station, whatever one you, you want to pick, interactive brokers, there's a million of them. So uh, there, those two particular uh, uh, platforms for 20 years were a million average, daily average retail trades per day. A million, they just vacillated right around a million for 20 straight years. All of a sudden, when sports betting shuts down, it jumps like a hockey stick, to so four million a day, so a three hundred percent increase, like that. Right. And coincidentally, that is when this guy invented this Davy Dave Davy Day Trader uh, uh, character, to where he would go over and he would film himself doing day trading when the guy knows nothing about how markets operate in any way, mechanically, quantitatively, or order flow, or anything like that. So he goes over there, and at the time that he goes over there and does this, Penn Gaming stock is down to $3. That was down 90% off its highs. 
for three dollars. Right. And then he does this thing, and now, and this was you know in March sometime. Now it's up to forty a share, forty dollars a share, with no supports. Right. So, what happened was, if you look at it, is he brought a bunch of really, you know, his minions that don't know really what's going on. And uh, they not only got into stock and pen gaming because, you know, they, they were like, I don't know what to buy. I, you know, I don't know what right. to do. All I got to buy. I don't know what an option is. I don't know what this is. I don't know what that is. I don't know what technical analysis is. And they also did the same thing with DraftKings. And, uh, you know, companies like that, um, yeah, DraftKings valuation is $13 billion. Let's talk about yeah, House of Straw. Yeah, and, and there's just so much regulatory risk there because what they're doing is just kind of, it's a predatory model. And you can't be a broker-dealer, which is what a bookmaker is, and um, act as a principal and then kick out winners, limit them to nothing, offer these jacked-up markets, uh, hold their winnings, right. uh, you know, and do I know it's what with them. You know, there's a lot of things and there's a lot of complaints. Oh, the one that always gets me, that's why I always use like two or three online sports books, is that let's say I'm on a 10-game win streak, guarantee you bet 11 is going to be delayed. Oh, they do. it. They do. They have all kinds of tricks, yeah. And they got to check offshore and, you know, so really. What they don't understand, hard. too, is that the industry gets together on day trading and they do that to day traders when day traders are. Right, and that's and that's another thing why, you know, we could get into that as far as how, uh, you know, the leagues, you know, the the leagues really make me laugh because it's like they're run by Bozo the Clown, you know, uh, well, they have no idea. In, in that clip, people heard in the beginning, right? Mike Gill's talking about paid off FBI guys. You know, Black Mask shows good illustration how FBI guys get paid off, and who's NFL security? FBI guys, they're friends. Yeah, the 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 NFL. I mean, the NFL. The, the leagues continue to back themselves into a corner that they, they, they is getting smaller and smaller all the time. Um, they don't understand security, and we'll get into the interstate uh, federal law pretty soon. Um, but they don't understand uh, securities law. They don't understand what they're doing is illegal. They don't understand that that uh, trying to claim official league data and having relationships with broker dealers while being the issuance of a security directly involved in that. You're not allowed to do that. They don't understand. They have nothing to do with integrity fees because that's going to be uh, a totally federal op uh, uh, regulatory commission uh, that most likely the SEC that will, that will uh, uh, have purview over that. So, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, <laughs> Apple stop, Apple can't, can't have any, uh, regulatory commission that says, you know, trust me, trust us, everything's fine here. You know, <laughs> you know, it's the type of thing where, like I said, that's the thing. You know, sports has that special thing where Fossey's talking about sports. Uh, the NFL gave it back, but all the other sports, Manfred, all these guys got a uh, a uh, exception on their taxes. So it's a special relationship, right. and that's the thing. People look at it. We we take advantage of it, but people look at teams as their religion. Yeah, the the NF, the NF, all the leagues were um, non designated as nonprofit, even though Roger Goodell makes fifty million dollars a year. So right. I don't know how that's, except for the MLB, I believe, and then and then the NFL just gave it up. I think. Am I right? Yeah, the, the NFL just gave it up because they were taking too PR hit. 
So a lot of this is PR stunt, right? This Dave Farmer, because he's a sports better now. I want to see your percentages, buddy. We can go one-on-one in a bet contest, live stream it. Uh, and it's PR to anyway, keep relevant. He's making a lot of money pumping and dumping, like you said, like yeah. three weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, people have to be concerned about what they're doing when they're going into, uh, a, a, you know, a, a context that they do not understand. Um, you know, it takes a long time uh, to really – make your bones and, and understand how markets work and you're sure as hell not going to figure out how markets work uh, by sitting in a chair for 12 years at uh, Princeton and listen to Paul Krugman drone on about the beige book. No, I remember saying, you know, we're meeting a lot here in San Diego, meeting a lot of people from Philadelphia online and everything, you know, and I remember what in my, my favorite uh, in literature, because I have a degree in literature, my favorite was uh, Camille Paglia. And Camille Paglia said that if you put a grenade in the pants of the graduating class at Harvard, the world wouldn't miss a thing. That's an excellent quote. That's an excellent quote. Camille Paglia from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So you have Penny. Well, you know, I'm from, I was born in Camden, which is right across the river, nice. which is like the which is like the murder capital of the country now. But, <laughs> but, I thought uh, Cory Booker, it, so you're saying Cory Booker, no, we don't talk about politics here. This is just a joke. Uh, yeah. The only three political positions we have on the podcast is legalization of sports betting. Uh, taxes should be at 10% and you should be able to deduct your, your losses from gambling from your income tax. Do you agree with those, Greg? Uh, I think that in reality, you know, there's, again, do you know that I'm extremely, well, first of all, in this, in 2020, everything is political. Right. The kind of toothpaste I choose is, has political ramifications. I can't do anything. I can't even open a door for somebody without it having some type of political ramifications. It's absolutely absurd. Sexual you know harassment, that. man. If you looked at her and you opened the door for her, you got to be yeah. careful. Yeah. At a certain point, when does everybody just say it's not worth it anymore? And I guess the the, the human race just goes away because nobody's nobody's doing it anymore, right? Right. So the so then goodbye human race because nobody wants to be accused of sexual harassment. Right. So, but anyway, at least we lived through the good times or some of the good times, not the greatest times. They were still pretty sane. So anyway, um, in terms of politics, like I said. Uh, the security, the way the securities are, uh, the, the, the investment contracts of sports betting, people are going to get a big surprise because inevitably when they are determined to be securities, which they will be, and again, we're going to get back to the interstate uh, uh, right. federal law, uh, it, the, the, it's going to end up being, and this should, if you bet on sports, quote unquote, I'm going to use those antiquated terms, if you bet on sports, you better know who you're supporting politically because when they, when you're win, if you have winnings and they qualify as short term capital gains, which is less than two years, right? Obviously, sports is a trading, unless you're doing a future, you know, and a future really is bad news because you're tying up your money with, you know, somebody who can make it work for them and your, your cash is not. You know, for eight, six, seven, eight months, you know, your cash is not working for you. So that's not a good thing to do, really, unless you can get out of the position. 
but you know if they should people should understand if they are betting on sports they should look at their the candidates that are supporting at the local the county state and federal level and say okay what is their position on on short-term capital gains because the le- the, the woman that ran last time and whoever it is that's running this time from the left side is looking at like 50% tax on short-term capital gains. And that's going to have, that's going to come to sports. Trust me, because you gotta, you're going to have to claim that. Oh no, it's already there. States are hashing it out. Uh, 20 out of 22 states are allowing you to take your losses, but there's some nerd bean counter in the other two states who are like, Oh, extra money for us. You can't deduct your losses from your uh, income tax. And the thing about, uh, you know, you got to get involved. Like, like Greg said, if you don't get involved in politics, politics is going to get involved in you. That's Aristotle. That's correct. And I'll give you a Plato quote. If we're going nice. to start doing, if we're going to start doing Greek philosopher quotes. Uh, Love Greek philosophy. Do not, do not be involved. To choose to not be involved in politics is to choose to be ruled by your inferiors. 100%. 100%. And I kind of feel like uh, Cassandra, Anna Anna Mangron's daughter, who predict these things, but people are not paying attention, except uh, you'll see the testimonials, King Sick, uh, our buddy Tim in Seattle, who made a lot of money with the paradigm shift that Greg and I, we didn't know each other, but we think alike we're like-minded individuals you have to take a wager on a game same way you evaluate a security or any other investment taking emotion out of it that's why the first rule of betting in our rules is do not bet your own team you get like betting on your own kid you get too emotional and we have it up on the website i'm going to get greg's articles on the website this week i'm going to harass him to get some articles on there on the website but we have the top 10 rules of betting that people love you follow those principles, you are going to make money and you're going to have fun watching the games. But Greg has a separate company, right? This is America. We're individual individualists and we can collaborate, right? Communists say that capitalism doesn't work because capitalists, all they do is compete. They can never collaborate. In this podcast, Greg and I uh, completely dispel that myth. So you got Penn National, you got Dave Portner that says now he's a betting guy, and you know he doesn't want to win, want you to win because Penn National is the casino. That leads us to the Wire Act. What is the Wire Act, and what's its relevance of what's going on right now? Oh, you're going to get me started on this one, boy. Maybe I could. <laughs> we have the passport one. I think it was the first or second where we, we talked about uh, good old. Uh, if we, crack a, if we crack a fifth of bourbon right now and light up a couple of stogies, you and I could talk about the Wire Act for forever. Right. Because it's a federal it's a complete wire mess. It really is a complete mess because uh, it's now a, a justice. And this is the thing. You have to pay attention to politics and what's going on because there's a lot of illegal activity being done by all these boards. It says in the Constitution that the government official must be an elected official to make decisions for the, uh, for the public. But here in California, the, the head of the cannabis board, not elected, writes a memo. The, the cities that wrote ordinances that you couldn't uh, transport pot, wrote a memo 
validating that. I'm like, how can you just write a memo? You're supposed to go to the state legislator, and da, da, da. she just wrote a memo. So now the Wire Act is a memo in the Justice Department. And it seems like a scam to try to make money with lawyers because whatever they decide, somebody's going to try to take it to the Supreme Court. Well, I don't think, I mean, what happens with federal legislation is that there has to be subsequent legislation that, or a judicial, uh, it has to go to the judicial branch, which would, you know, like what passed would be the Supreme Court, which invalidates it. So you either got to make new law, right, federal level, or you have to adjust the law, or it goes to the, uh, in the legislative branch, or it goes to the judicial branch, which is what we saw with PASPA, which PASPA was federally unconstitutional since its inception in 1992. So, uh, and they finally woke up, you know, 25 years later. So, when you get to the Wire Act, and I've said this on several interviews that I can send you, yeah. uh, it's even worse law than PASPA, because what happened, it, it was, in 1961, it was in complete conflict with the 1946 decision in the Supreme Court of uh, the SEC versus Howey, which 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 determined what a security was by a four-part what was called Howey test. A brilliant uh, justice, Frank Murphy, wrote the majority opinion for that. And um, I don't know. And, and in the in the inception of the Wire Act, I, I believe it was it applied to all gambling that went you know across state lines. Remember, from 1931 uh, until until the Wire Act, which was 1961, this was this was a you know a, a part of Bobby Kennedy's attack against organized crime, quote unquote. Right. You know the his rival the, organized crime gang, right? Like like right now, cartel yeah. calling the other cartel the DEA. That's what Robert yeah. Kennedy was. Doing. Yeah, Robert Kennedy was all big, big on that, and, and uh, you know you can get into whole, the whole thing where Joe Kennedy got John Kennedy elected and could have helped, you know, could have been, uh, he could have been helped out a little bit in, in, in Cook County and, and Illinois. And, and uh, maybe they thought that he wasn't doing the right thing. I don't know. You know that's just, that's right. just, that's me being silly, I guess. Yeah. But, no, but I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, man. Cook County, the right, just, a week there. Yeah. I mean, you know, Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize, and there was about 50 murders in Chicago last week, which is his hometown. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know how that works. But anyway, yeah, we I think <laughs> so. Uh, the internet. So, and the reason why I was saying why I got on that tangent was because this is, you know, just put us in a a, a, a contextual right venue. Uh, this was in 1961, the Interstate Wire Act, and this was part of Bobby Kennedy's attack against uh, organized crime, who really were the only, and, you know, television, big part of this, because, you know, as I said before, I think the first televised sporting event was 1936, was the Berlin Jesse Owens Olympics. Right. And from there, 1946 was the Howie decision, which was extremely important because it, he did not. Frank Murphy, if Frank Murphy would have said what he wanted to say, meaning that sports and to a lesser extent horses were the investment contracts were securities, he couldn't have spelled out any more than he did in the majority decision. But if he would have said that verbatim, people's heads would have exploded. Because at this point, 
Now you're talking about, then you get to 1961, the only legal state for sports betting, quote unquote, which, I mean, you know, the mob made, you know, the, or the underling, uh, underworld or whatever you want to call it, because of Nozer or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, they made money not only on, hor- on, on horses, but numbers, sports, whatever, that all went across state lines. Now, in its in its current incarnation, uh, it's only about sports. So because well, this, you know, I'll, I'll get into detail of that because it gets on my pet peeve, right? Which is selective prosecution. And this is the problem, right? And I hope people learn this is what the whole George Floyd thing is supposed to make people learn and get involved in. Because listen, uh, what the Justice Department is, is they're a prosecutor, right? They're not a judge. So in 2011, Eric Holder gets paid off to allow online gambling, right? They funnel in a lot of money to offshore accounts. Eric Holder's a rich man. In comes Law and Order Jeff Session, who says, no, 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 no. Uh, it's not just sports betting, interstate lines. It's, uh, it's, a uh, uh, you know, poker, blah, blah, blah. But then you get to the other step. It's willingness to prosecute, right? So like the family values guy who at the beginning of the conversation tried to invite me to church and at the end of the conversation was saying there's too many crimes being committed to enforce people in all of them, right? So if you're going to commit a crime, you make it a white collar crime because you're going to be uh, less apt to be prosecuted. So if the states... Let me ask you this, Greg. If the states are making tax money off sports betting, and sports betting is driving tax, uh, taxes to the casino, I say, driving people to the casino so they pay taxes, what is the willingness of these people to cut their arm off and lose money enforcing all this regulation you're talking about? Well, it's not, they're not going to lose regulation. I just... You know what I'm saying? So they're not going to enforce it. They're not going to do regulations because what they care about is the money. Because what happens with these local politicians, they love they're gonna, with money. They're going to get their money. The whole thing is a, is a, is a, is a money-creating machine, whether you're talking right. about um, engagement of the fans, the media rights, the sport, the, the bars and restaurants, um, you know the 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 execution brokers, the broker dealers. You know everybody's paying taxes, so right. it, it, everybody wins with volume if they do it the right way. Because then the the customer, which happened, you know, when I was in the business twenty years ago, right? You know, options moved away from being singly listed, and then everything became more competitive, and everybody wins with more volume. And the way that you look, the way you create volume is to give people a quantitative, totally agnostic reason to engage in the market which increased new york stock exchange volume two thousand percent in 10 years from the mid 90s to the mid 2000s and the education then that leads to more volume then the margins come in and then that leads to a better execution price and then you get more volume everybody's happy so let's get back to the the federal wire act so uh, it's got to go it's worse law than PASPA. and the thing about it is is that you know, now you have. Well, then you have the law. You have the interpretation of the law. And well, you just want to be thorough with the. You have the law. You have the they, interpretation they, of the law, and then you have the willingness to enforce the law. 
And then what penalties are you going to give them? Are you going to give them five years of jail, slap on the wrist, a fine? Well, you're supposed to get you're supposed to get a uh, fine, uh, not more than two years, and for both, whatever, federally. They say good lawyers know the law, great lawyers know the, the drug, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, so basically, it has to go. I've been I've I've said it for as as soon for years, actually, way before Pasco even. I I wrote about it and spoke about it. I, I said, you know, Pasco was trash. Uh, the Wire Act is trash, and uh, the uh, Unlawful Internet Gaming Enforcement Act is trash. So they're Another all. Another thing all too trash. is, like California, right? Half the states, and every every state has different laws. But in California, has not, unless has you're not on camera, there. yeah, unless you're on camera doing something online or on your phone, they're not going to prosecute. In Florida, they don't care; they'll prosecute you all day. Right, and I'm and I'm and I'm a states' rights guy, except when it's something. It's so obviously necessary to be under the purview of the federal government. Right. Which is what this is here. How can this not be, you know, and, and the thing is that the, the Wire Act is so upside down because they said, okay, you know, now I'm sure we know about Powerball and all these other ridiculous lotteries and lotteries are the old saying is it's just a tax on dumb people that can't do right. that. You know, so you have these interstate pools of, of, uh, Powerball, Powerball, whatever, and that's okay. The Federal Wire Act doesn't care about that. And you know, when I grew up uh, at Garden State Park as a kid, you know, you could you could only when I was in, in high school at fourteen years old, you know, you could only bet simulcast within the state, intrastate. Meaning, I could bet races from Monmouth. I could bet races from Meadowlands. I could bet races from. Uh, Freehold, and I could bet races from Atlantic City Racetrack. Right. A lot of which aren't there anymore. But when they had every now and again, they would have an exception of like a Triple Crown race would come in on closed circuit TV, where it'd be all bad reception and all that other stuff. At a certain point, I guess it was in like the 2000s, they suspended that, had a, made a carve out to the Wire Act, and said, okay, boom, we can make this all across state lines. So it's now funny, I can bet the, these changes are attorney generals that can be paid off. Who's it? Clinton's attorney general? Let me look it up. Well, whatever it is, but the the the, 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 uh, the the most bizarre part about it is is that they have it all upside down because those are much less like securities, which sports sports is the one that shouldn't be affected by the federal wire act because sports that's basically telling if you, you're telling somebody that that they can't make a sport bet across state lines or a sport trade across state lines, which by definition, it's all across state lines. Right. Then you're just saying that you, that you can't, unless you live in New York, you can't make a, a, you know, a trade on Amazon stock. Unless you live in Chicago or in Illinois, you can't make a trade on the SIBO uh, on an option on, on the VIX futures, whatever. Right. That's the thing. So it's completely upside down, um, and it's just you know again they just keep kicking the can down the road and it really that's gets the thing me. too. I noticed that's that legislatures are very lazy and they don't want to oh, write any laws or do their job. They're the, worst, they're the absolute worst. They sit there. They're all empty suits. They don't do anything. They come out and say, "Hey, we saved this bird's habitat today." Or of course, they're very great at the identity politics, especially here in New Jersey. It's a joke. Guys like Pallone 
and Norcross. They got to go like now. Yeah. That's crazy. Janarino. I knew it was really corrupt. Corrupt Janarino. Cologne in Monmouth County, he's been an empty suit for 35 years in that <laughs> Yeah, you got my Cuban corrupt guy there, too. Like, oh, my God. Menendez. Menendez. Yeah, he's a real beauty. No, you know, he's, he's a 100% scumbag. Yep. I've met him a few times. He's been nice to me, you know. But you see people around him and what's going on. And it's like, man, you're a public figure. You're making decisions for the public. But we digress, right? Now, when you bring this all together, we'll wrap it up with what is gamification and how does it integrate with economics? Oh, gamification economics is my baby. It's so beautiful. Because if you understand gamification economics, now it's interwoven with the wolf line and all the theory and the practical application tools, which makes it as simple if you want it as simple or as complicated as you want it to be. Right. Uh, and you're now juxtaposing uh, very, very uh, complicated and high level concepts uh, and theories of options trading and quantitative analytics and behavioral economics and, and uh, futures and all, all the theory that goes into that time, price, probability, volatility. And it's being put into uh, a context that's never been done before, which is the games, the games of what is called colloquially sports betting, which is uh, an entirely new um, securities uh, area. So gamification economics allows you to watch a ball game, have a bet on it, and learn all that very intricate and, and uh, and you know the mosaic of how financial markets work on many different levels all the way from uh, the mechanical concepts and theory to the application that you're putting on and it goes beyond uh the the, the game theory of john nash really it goes it goes far beyond that now game theory is always very interesting right i simplify it the guy who shuts up always has an advantage in game theory so yeah, so uh, the wolf line is a tool, right? In your tool be belt to make over 52.5 and get into 70, 80% and make profit. Remember, remember Josh, so say, say you make, you know, going forward, right. say you make, make a decision, right? Right. Say you, say you Josh, say, we like the Raiders minus seven and a half because ABC. And one of those things is because of our or my, meaning you, right. because of uh, as far because of my subjective interpretation of the Wolf Line quantitative sports trading analytics. Right. Somebody, we push it around a little bit because sometimes things become so clear that you're using probability theory. And then to ensure a result, you eliminate variables and covariables, right? Variance and covariance. And then you get, you get to a point using decision science, right? And I teach my business owner clients this. Sometimes you have to make decisions. And you have to be right 70, 80% of the time without having all of the information, right? Being a solo God. entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, yeah. 
Josh, even even choosing to not make a decision is making a decision. Right. Now remember the great Absolutely. Jesse Livermore. Remember the great Jesse Livermore who made a billion right. dollars of his money in the crash of 1929 and another fortune in the crash of, of, of 1907. You know, 80% of the money of the time or 80% of the money he made was during the waiting, not during the trading. He was waiting. It's about waiting. Right. Waiting for your particular setup that you have, you know, had success with. And, and our platform allows you to back test that, put that into the, our, mach, our machine learning, uh, you know, module, get the emails. I mean, it's 2020. Are people really looking at VSIN and all these nonsense networks that are that are spewing stuff from, from 1982? You know, the wolfline.com is giving you machine learning, email alerts, technical studies, behavioral economics, all this other that these guys are talking about, you know, stuff that's totally irrelevant. Joe. No, no, absolutely. We're we're ahead of the game. We're two to five years ahead of everybody. Dave Portnoy has no idea. And uh what Greg helps us with, you hear a lot of oh data driven bets. Then you're thinking the wrong way. Uh you don't let the data make the decision for you. You make the decision. You use data as a tool in your tool dude, belt. I'll, tell you right, I'll, tell right, I'll tell you right now, I even read an interview with the dude. That dude said he bought, you know, like X amount of, of Chewy.com stock because stocks, quote unquote, stocks never go down. And I like dogs. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable craziness, you know, and once you start paying attention, you'll notice, right, that uh, let's say Oakland's 4 0 and the Jets are 0 and 4, the biggest market, and uh, the Jets are getting minus, uh, let's say the Raiders are getting minus eight. You know, the Jets are going to cover, right? And Barstool is going to put minus 10, and DraftKings are going to go minus 10, right? You analyze it, you listen to what I said, what we picked on the podcast. You go to the wolf line and you look at the data, boom, you make a decision. You're going to make some money. Right, Greg? I'm thinking so. Well, I like people to make their own decisions. I'm, a, I'm an American, man. I don't like telling people what to do. Not me either. We, we, uh, we don't give people a, sh a fish. We teach them how to fish using business and financial concepts to bet games. But if somebody needs to pick, we'll give them to them and we'll have fun because we've been doing so well for so many years. And that's the big element of it, right? You have to have fun because life is short. Final thoughts, Greg Wolf. Uh, well, your last statement there, your last little phrase uh, stunned me. Uh, life is very short. So enjoy yourself and uh, try to try to be as educated as you possibly be. And do your research, man. That's the main thing. Do your research. Do not bet blindly on these games. It's as always. Be a wolf. Don't be a sheep, man. <laughs> Who wants to be a sheep? I don't. Big time. And there's just way too many sheep out here. Just look at your company line, government line. Look at. 
myself in the mirror every day and say, am I a sheep today or am I a wolf? What am I going to be? <laughs> and I'm not made by accident. And it's not the wolf line is not autonomous. It's because teach you how to be a wolf, not be a sheep. Big time, big time. And we're going to get some people uh, to give testimonials, get some user engagement flowing. We're getting a ton of people on the website. We'll make sure we have all the links up by the end of tonight. I'm working on the website. And we always close. Oh, you got a quote for us today? I'll give you, I'll give my uh, Winston Churchill quote. Mm -hmm. uh, you make a living from your labor, but you make a life from what you give. You got a quote for us, Greg, to take us home? Well, I have a quote for today. Uh, let's see. Can't find one really. There's so many of them. Hold on well, a second. Yeah, you, you did the, the one that I liked. It. If you don't, uh, if you don't participate in government, you're gonna get people less than you. That's the play. I gave like three earlier. I I just found one in my head. All right. In the deepest recesses. Jesse Livermore. The only news that matters is not in the headlines. Meaning, if you know news, I don't care if it's sports, I don't care if it's commodities, I don't care if it's stocks. If you know a piece of fundamental news that nobody else knows, and you profit off of that, that's breaking SEC Rule 10b5-1. And there are a lot of dudes out there on Twitter that everybody they have, they have thousands of minions that they that they want to follow them that are getting. I know for a fact non-public information and trying to say that there's some kind of sharp and the word sharp is bullshit I know. we beat the sharks all day what the sharks 58 percent nfl were 63.5 and we were giving yeah. out every game every over another so another another uh another um uh corrupt gaslighting lying concept being thrown out there by chisters that greg and i fight those people all day I'm not a sharp. I don't give a shit. All I do is, is or I don't give a damn, whatever you want to say. You know, I don't. Uh, you curse on here, man. We can like Rogan or whatever. We got no FCC regulation. <laughs> I don't know anything that nobody else knows. All I know is how, how uh, you know, 2,500-year-old philosophy can be created to be uh, quantitative tools that I can make into as easy to, re to play as a game of Candyland, which is ages four and up. Right on, right on. All right. There it is. There it is. Man, another great episode. We gave you a lot of information and we gave you actionable information you can use. Thank you for listening to the ESBC Sports Financial Podcast. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use. <clears throat> And they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN betting and team report podcast. It helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started, my brothers. All the best there is.